This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tip industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. So today on the podcast, I have Dennis Gentech. He's a regional sales manager for Jacuzzi Sundance. He's been in the industry for quite a while. So I imagine that many of you know him or at least know his face. So I've seen him at trade shows or seen him around, around the industry. You know how that goes. So Dennis, thank you for coming on. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, before we get into your industry background, do you mind giving me a little bit of your personal background, kind of where you grew up, where you went to school? Have you always been on the East Coast? What's, what's your story? I grew up in South Jersey at a small beach town called North Wildwood. It's at the southern tip of New Jersey. Okay. It was only 130 people in my graduating class. It was lots of fun in the summertime yeah. because it was a tourist town. I had the bay a block to my west and the beach two blocks to my right, uh, to the east. Um, and really enjoyed it immensely as an opportunity to grow up there. However, it was like a small fishbowl and I couldn't make to get out to the bigger city. Sure. <laughs> so when you graduated from high school, did you get out to the big city? Yeah, I, I moved up towards Philadelphia. I went to school at a school called Glassboro State at the time. It's now called Rowan University. There I, I did a bachelor's degree in small business management. Okay. And uh, once I graduated, I stayed up that area. So I stayed in South Jersey where Cherry Hill, uh, which is 15 minutes to over the bridge into Philadelphia. So how did you end up in the hot tub industry? Well, I was selling copiers. That was my first experience into, hot, uh, into sales. You know how many copiers. people in this industry I've talked to and that's what they were doing? I was selling copiers or, or printers or something like that. It's so funny. What a great step into sales it actually is because it allows you to get from the need at a uh, location where they probably use a copier now to giving them something that's enhancing their business capacity. Certainly a great stepping stone into sales and running a territory, et cetera. And my best experience there was, hey, Dan, here's some brochures. Here's your territory. Go out and market these things. And I said, I don't have any training. What are you talking about? So I would go around and knock on doors and not know what I was talking about. And then a week later, they brought me in and did a sales training for a week on all the things that you did wrong the week prior when you were out in your territory. So that was, so a, stra really a, that was a strategy. Experience. That wasn't yeah. them just being like nonchalant about sending you out there. They actually wanted, that was part of their learning process. After that, I did it part-time. I had an uncle that was in the pool and spa business and he was doing it part-time and said, uh, when you get off at five, why don't you come on down? We are open until eight and we're open on weekends and you can make some extra money. So I started working at a retail store for six months selling pools and spas. And after six months, I loved it so much, I quit the copier business and got right into selling spas and pools full time and loved it. A lot of hours, but not as challenging and competitively at least, and running an outside territory at least. I was saying, wow, these people are just going to come to me and I'm going to sell to them. Terrific. I don't have to go hunt. I can right. just farm. Terrific. I had a combination of both. I could go out or I could also wait for them to come into the store either way. So that background helped me in copier sales to be more competitive, but also to appreciate the retail side of things. Yeah. What year was that? Do you think that you started in the- 1988. In the 1988. 1988. All right. Yeah, so we're <laughs> so going way back there. Like 30, almost, that's over 30 years in the industry. Yes, it yeah? is. All right. Yeah, that's it's great. Over 30, it's actually 32. So, and I, I know I look like I started when I was uh, eight. 
hey, you know, we're all, we're all hanging in there. Um, how did you end up? I mean, we've wanted to have a sales rep on the podcast for a long time, but I mean, you guys are, you guys are busy. Everyone knows that you're hard to, hard to nail down. So, <laughs> so I'm so glad that you're finally on because I think I find your job as one of the more fascinating in the industry. I feel like you have a really unique view of what's actually happening on a ground level and a manufacturer level. And it's also probably the job that I envy the least. It's the one job that I think one reason why I'm fascinated by it is that I would personally probably hate doing it so much. <laughs> How did you go from your uncle's business to doing what you do now in sales for Jacuzzi Sundance? I did it for 10 years retail-wise, and I enjoyed it immensely. I mean, I think, that I think the item that hooked me the most was that I could sell a product for 10 grand, and then a week or two after the delivery of the product, have the consumer come back in the store and actually kiss or hug me and say, I was really skeptical about getting this product. I never owned one before. I didn't know what the lifestyle change would be. I wouldn't, didn't know if I would use it a lot. And it ends up being one of the best decisions I've ever made for my family. Mm. And I find that uh, not only does it help me health-wise, but it helps me romance-wise. It helps me with my family communication more, enjoying uh, my children and friends and occasions when I can use the product in the convenience of my own backyard. That hit me in a big way. I don't think there's any premium product that you could sell where you have that kind of a family of consumers coming back to you time and time again and talking about how their lifestyle has changed and improved through the product that I sold to them. Yeah, you're not and, selling cars uh, or fitness equipment or things like that. Because <laughs> I, I think it's sometimes one and done with a lot of those types of sales. And right. With this one, it's ongoing and we see second and third generations of those same consumers who can't live without their hot tubs after they move, for example. So it really hooked me in a big way to be in this industry. And so I just wanted to do more. And I thought from a retail standpoint, I was touching my own community and doing well with that. But what could I bring to a national level or at least a regional level? I was really well trained by my boss, Armin Saviano. I'll even drop his name because he really was an intense trainer when it came to not only how to sell, but just know how to manage the product, work with the product after the sale, even service the product very conscientious owner. And I wanted to be able to share those practices that I learned in those 10 years with others. Yeah. And so there was an opportunity that came up to be a regional manager. And I threw my name into the ring and was hired in 1998 to become okay. a representative. And I still remain as a representative for that same company today, 22 years later. Oh, that's great. And very unusual. I mean, I, I feel like the sales managers are maybe the people I see bounce around the most from one company to a next. They're with one manufacturer and then a couple of years later, they're with a different one and they just, they kind of move around. So that's pretty impressive that you've stayed with them for that long. Yes, I'm loyal, but also I'm blessed. I'm blessed that they're a major manufacturer that's very well known, that has a, a lot of resources to provide their dealerships, the type of support that dealership requires and wants. I love to be able to communicate those tools and those programs to uh, the dealer. So I'm, I'm blessed that they've, I've seen changes over the years that are crazy um, with how we do things, how we make spas, how we promote spas, and that ever-changing climate makes every day a different day and a new challenge. 
Well, you kind of segued into one of my next questions. <laughs> I'm curious what your daily life looks like, what your job looks like. And obviously we are in the COVID era. And so I imagine looks a lot different now versus when it did you know, a year and a half ago, but how has it changed from when you started in the nineties to now? Because obviously we're using smartphones and all of these things that are supposedly supposed to make your life easier. So what did it look like when you started in the nineties and to now, as far as getting out there, traveling, talking to dealers, what, what is it like? Well, a lot of things have changed. First of all, just traveling itself. Uh, The job was always more than 65% travel. I used to have to go upstairs and print out a MapQuest sheet to go from here to there. And looking at those sheets while driving was not really a safe thing to do. And many times I got lost and put more miles on my car than I would have wanted to. Thank God for the, the greatest invention, which was uh, Waze app and, and GPS. So I could find my way a lot quicker and navigate through all the traffic that I have to deal with in this region, especially I've got Washington DC traffic, I've got Philadelphia traffic, and I got New York traffic. So yeah, uh, whenever I can save a little bit of time and get there on time is really a, a common thing. So something as simple as that technology has made my life so much better. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. also uh, it's made it uh, more interesting to communicate with dealers about the new ways to do business, website, social media. And back in the day when we were in retail in the 90s, we used newspaper advertisements. You know, it was what page to get on and what to communicate in that page was so limited. But now I can really talk about all the benefits of hot tubs, the differences of hot tubs, the lifestyle that people have once they own their hot tubs. Never had that chance before, but the with the media that you have with website blogging and social media is just intensely great for our industry. Yeah, for sure. Having um, the ability to share those ways and, and get savvy at it with dealerships has really been probably the biggest stepping stone for me and for the industry probably too. Absolutely. I mean, just such a huge, a huge, huge change. Um, I mean, look what we're doing today. We're Zooming. I right? know. Yeah, exactly. Who would ever thought that? I know. This is, this is so I a, true. <laughs> I had a bag phone when I first started getting around travel. Oh yeah. We had a bag phone growing up. Absolutely. <laughs> oh man. It's funny to think back to those days. As your career went on, and again, as we started to see more and more of this technology come into our lives, did you continue to travel as much? Were you on the road as much? Or were you doing a lot more things remotely? I think we could still continue to travel as much up until these pre-COVID times and COVID times. Yes, I definitely use technology in my job more than I ever did, but there's more programs. There's more to communicate about. So you have to use the media of the internet and, and Outlook to communicate those things to my dealer clientele. But I also can be more creative in my job because I have access to Google and other things to um, help me um, in my job. For example, video was never thought to be used uh, even a decade ago. Mm -hmm. So yeah, technology has really helped and the creativity side has expanded where I can spend more time in my office and still be productive, but the job still entails, I believe that communication, seeing you face to face, seeing what's happening on the sales floor, working with even end consumers when I'm there. I think there's an important approach there that to the retail stores in our job that is a necessity to still travel. I agree. I mean, they're seeing their customers face-to-face still. And so there's a lot of that that goes into it. Now that we have these COVID times and you pretty much couldn't travel if you wanted to, how has that changed how you communicate with your dealers and how has that changed how you talk to them about communicating with their customers? It's changed because obviously I'm not getting out and seeing them personally. 
And normally the walk around the store is a critical part in the job of what we do, helping them work with the tools that are on their sales floor and not being able to see what's happening at the dealer level as frequent as I used to do is kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. But yet the, the frequency of communication that I can have with all of the other methods, cell phone, computer, Zoom, et cetera, has enabled me to maybe become closer with my clients than ever before through these times. Yeah. The three main things I've always felt my job should be, the roles that I should have and, the, and what my clients expect of me was always to be a liaison to the factory. So I can still do that even mm-hmm. though I'm remote to make sure that they are fulfilled with the information that they need. Training is really the difficult part because it's the hands-on part of training. It's demonstrating the product. It's the hands-on, see, touch, feel. But there are still some capabilities with remote that we should be taking advantage of, and we do. And of course, sharing best practices. When uh, I see another dealer doing something that's really strong, I believe my dealers want to hear what's working and what's not working. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that I share those best practices with them. So I, I can retain those three main pillars Uh, even though I'm doing it more remotely than ever before. Yeah. What were the main challenges that dealers were coming to you with to have you help them solve before COVID? And now what does that look like now? Are they they having the same struggles or is it a whole different ballgame? Definitely the struggles have changed. Obviously, with just-in-time inventory, just-in-time abilities to, to get the product in, their conversations with consumers would always have been hey, I can get that hot tub to you in five weeks or less. Yeah. And what color do you want? And do you want this jet or that jet or this feature or that feature? I mean, the world was your oyster. You could have, you could have that hot tub however you wanted it. Exactly. Um, and so now they are having to promote their sales off of predicted sales that they will have three, six, nine, 12 months from now. I mean, and they have to whole... prepare in order for that. And it is a whole new ballgame, plus managing those end consumers' expectations. Absolutely. Because they only have a deposit from that consumer, but they're not going to see that spa for quite a long time. How do I keep in touch with them, nurture them, get them prepared for it, and keep them still interested in getting that product six months from now, I mean, nine it's months just... from now? It's just insane. I, I don't think any of us were, obviously, none of us were prepared for this. <laughs> no. So I started in the industry pretty much at the beginning of the recession. And so this whole just-in-time ordering, not carrying any inventory is all I know of the hot tub industry. Is that how it has always been? Or was that a switch during the recession? During the recession, I think we got better at lowering inventories and being more efficient than we were prior to the recession. I think we're doing more with less by far these days. Mm -hmm. And thank God for some technologies that help us do all that. But I think our staffing is less than it used to be at the retail store levels than prior. And yet today, what's really funky is that dealers are now starting to achieve levels of sales that they had pre-recession in the early 2000s. And some of them even haven't even touched what they did then yet, but Mm -hmm. that's coming where they were so staffed up and they were so stocked up back in those early 2000s. Now they're coming to the same levels of production of sales and soaring sales, and they need to ramp it up to those same levels. But definitely they're doing more with less these days. So even before the recession, it's not like people were carrying a ton of hot tub inventory. It was still, it was already kind of a streamlined process as far as their, you know, the customer comes in, orders what they want. They order it from the manufacturer, then it comes. 
I know not every business is always, always operates that way. Every dealership is a little bit different. And as a generalization, that's kind of how the industry has looked for as long as we can remember. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, obviously pre-season, uh, the product is still seasonal. Um, we have uh, second and third quarters are the times when we're probably delivering the most hot tubs to end consumers. And so having stock and inventory levels up higher, obviously, in that second and third quarter would always be critical. Sure. Um, but you get into the first and fourth quarters of the calendar year, they're carrying less and able to satisfy a consumer of, hey, four weeks, you still got to get a pad down for that. You still got to get your electrical contractor out. So timing is perfect with four to five weeks back. Right, so, right. Yeah, it was never a huge deal with not being able to get a consumer product in time. So this is a whole new process of how dealers are running their business and manufacturers. I mean, how do you help them figure out what to do, what to order, when to order, how much to order? What are you guys doing to help them stay on top of things so they have that steady flow of hot tubs coming in without putting their business in any kind of danger? I mean, they've never had so many hot tubs on order before no, it's uh, that they can recall. And so therefore looking at how many they have and yet that they still have to order more in order to meet the demand is just a crazy condition. Here we are in November when things typically get a little slower here in the Northeast. Yet if consumers were to go into a retail store and didn't know any better, they're really buying a hot tub for August. Yeah. You want your hot tub for Labor Day and or maybe in the fall or if they get lucky, they find the product that they want with a dealer that has been ordering inventory that will get the hot tub that they want in the right color, the right size, right style for themselves, maybe by March or by April mm -hmm. if, they're, if they deal with the luckiest dealer in the town. Um, I mean, do you have any dealers who were <laughs> just had that crystal ball and started placing orders before everyone else? Yes. And so they just, I, I've talked to a couple who have done that. Most people are, well, we're behind the eight ball. They probably aren't anymore, but I have talked to a, a couple of dealers who, when things were still shut down, just started ordering millions of dollars of product, just anticipating yeah. what I didn't see coming. <laughs> well, the lead times just grew. I mean, it went crazy, right? And we did shut down in March part of April, started back up in middle of May, and we went from eight to 10 to 12 to 16 to 20 week lead times in just about a month and a half. It was that crazy. And so it took dealerships the know-how to eventually start an ordering process and a new way of forecasting their sales and selling virtually to those consumers who couldn't see, touch, or feel the product and making sure that uh, they were they were going to have the product at least in time for holidays or special occasions or events that the consumers would want. Mm -hmm. And it's not just making sure that you order the right number of hot tubs. It's making sure you order the right mix of hot tubs. Right. Yeah. Uh, what does the consumer like the most? And what am I going to have available to them? I want to make sure that there's, I want to reduce that buyer remorse. So it's not just the number of having it in stock. It's having the right model mix in stock or coming into stock. It's such a huge switch for our industry in the way that we all operate. Um, I know that I am still having a hard time wrapping my mind around how this is working for dealers, but it's other industries do this. I mean, it's not like we don't have other places that we can look for examples of how to do this and do this well, because a lot of industries have to operate this way and can't be just in time inventory. Mm -hmm. So where are you looking and what are you seeing as to tell your dealers, these are kind of some best practices. I mean, we have to look outside our industry because we don't have any insider industry. Where are you telling them to go? How are you getting them to figure out how to do this? 
Because we're talking about people, I mean, you've been in the industry for 30 years, 32 years. A lot of the dealers are in the same, in the same boat. This is all they know. This is how they've operated for their entire careers. Yeah, it's been a shift by miles, but there are other categories that are in the same situation as we are. Uh, anything to do with the backyard, yeah, they're aware of that. So if they have another category on their floor, they're experiencing similar rise in, mm -hmm. and demand as far as backyard products from patio furniture to pools, especially, and to barbecues. And so they're already familiar with the demand and the need for that. But there are other categories like boating industry and mm -hmm. RV industry where mm -hmm. they don't have any product to display or not much at all. And they're taking orders a year in advance. I like to compare us to Tesla. You can build your own product. You just have to wait for it. And it's worth the wait. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what a lot of retailers are telling their customers right now. I mean, if you really care about having this or that feature, then that's great. But you're going to have to wait. And hopefully that means you'll just get that much more enjoyment out of it when the time comes. You have to make them look at the long term as best as you possibly can. You're not just looking for this product for a quick turnaround. You're going to keep it for 10, 15, and even 20 years. I have definitely a lot of consumers who still maintain and have their same tubs from the 90s. Mm -hmm. And they're just changing them up now to a second generation. So when you make them look at the long term and all the holidays, all the parties, and all the mm -hmm. possible aches and pains they may have down the road, they, it's a long term decision, not just a short one. Right. And, and there is a concern about buyer remorse, giving them a spa that's too small, but they didn't get a chance to see it in the dealership. Right. Uh, making them have uh, take a color that won't be matching with their home decor, uh, making them, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a lounge because that's all that they had, but I was really a no, no lounge kind of a consumer. Having representation of that product remain on the floor has really been the most difficult balance for dealers sure. because they want to satisfy that demand. I want to sell that, give that spa to mm -hmm. that consumer. Yet at the same time, I don't have it here to show the value of it for their needs physically. And how do I get that message across virtually is so, so much of a different change for, for the dealership. I never really thought of that way of it that way before because you know sales are pouring in and so on the one hand it seems like that it would be easier to be a salesman in the hot tub industry right now hmm. but you actually have to be even more of an expert and really dig into what that consumer needs probably even more than you did before because like you said you don't want them coming back in six months saying you suggested that i get this and i hate it you need to really dig in and really probe what they're needing and wanting and their desires are because the chances of getting it wrong are probably a lot higher now than they were before this crazy sales time so that's yep. that's intense you're getting a lot of sales but you the pressure to get them right is probably even higher it's kind of like weather forecasting the weather person said this morning it was going to be really cold outside but i don't know how cold it's going to be until i step outside and then i feel right. it and i go wow he was right it's cold but i really didn't understand it until i stepped outside it's the same thing with a hot tub is this seat going to be comfortable for me are these jets going to provide the right massage for me how do I describe that virtually without having the product there that they're going to be satisfied with it when they receive it six or nine months later is really pretty tricky. Yeah. So you really have to be on your game to, to be able to provide that value and the differences because obviously we sell a good, better, best product. Why should I move up in the price point? Well, the feel is going to get better when you move up. Trust me. 
And, yeah. but this is how it's going to get better. I want to talk a little bit about those early days of COVID and what you were hearing from dealers at the beginning of shutdown, because everybody I've talked to, you know, those first few weeks were a real gut check and everyone kind of prepared for the worst because obviously historically any kind of a downturn or major shakeup is, is not good for you know, luxury consumer products and hot tubs for sure. And so there was this, this panic kind of at the beginning that quickly turned into this boom that none of us were really expecting. So what were your conversations with dealers like in those first few weeks versus early May for sure when things had started to skyrocket? Definitely. Uh, what a 180 change. I mean, when this first happened and everything was shutting down and here I am and nearby the epicenter of where it was all going down here Absolutely. in New York, New Jersey and Eastern Pennsylvania. And so there was a lot of worry, a lot of dealerships closing down, not knowing when they were going to open their doors again, not knowing what the restrictions were going to be lifted so that they could kind of do business as usual, not knowing when they would be able to get product from my factory. There was a lot of unknown. And so there was a lot of fear and layoffs were occurring. Thank goodness for PPE for a lot of uh, dealerships. Yeah. But I was furloughed myself for two months. And oh, yeah. um, so I was living their same fears as to when this was going to stop. Yeah. And when business as usual could pick back up again. And yeah. it's still not business as usual now. No, However, no. <laughs> um, as things started to change, people said, hey, I'm spending more time at home. Mm -hmm. And I got a I got a summertime coming up and we want to enhance that backyard. And what products can we get because we're not going to be traveling. And so the first most common denominator I heard consumers were having conversations with the dealerships was we're going to Disney World normally with my family on an annual basis. Mm -hmm. Disney World's not going to happen for the next few years for us. So we need to do something with the money that we're not going to spend on Disney World and go and spend it on our backyard and on our right. family. I must have heard Disney World in that first month about a dozen times. That, that was a very common thing. But yeah. it was other travel too. It was travel sure. to Europe, travel to here or anywhere. That's where we obviously ended up being the beneficiary. What a change. Yeah. I was going to ask you sort of what this COVID journey has looked like for you personally. So you were furloughed, which is also <laughs> a gut check. Um, I guess I'm curious because you have all of these long-term relationships with dealers. I can't imagine that because you were furloughed, they just automatically stopped calling you and talking to you. No, no. We, we talked a lot even more, obviously. Um, yeah. I think so you, I became you closer to a lot of my dealers. Working just as much as you were before, or if, if not more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I definitely was still working. Definitely still picking up the phone. I love talking about the sale. Um, right. That's my favorite thing to talk about: the individual sale and how to get that sale. Um, so salespeople know to to chat with me when they want for help and information. And dealerships knew that I was there and continually going to be there. And that's just the work ethic that I've always had, but also what this company's always instilled in me. And so, yeah, communication, communication, communication still had to be there. And that role didn't change. But from my homestand situation, yeah. obviously when you travel 60% plus at a time and now you're not, uh -huh. absence always made the heart grow fonder mm -hmm. with my wife and I. So, oh, yeah. you know, I always knew when there was a level of annoyance that I was creating around the house that, it, ooh, I, I got a trip coming coming up. Thank goodness. I'm sure she might've said. <laughs> and yeah, uh, no, so here I go sure. out on the road and come back and, um, and, and things are great. But now I'm a complete 100% annoyance. Uh, yeah, and I have to learn to, to, to calm it down and go into a different room <laughs> uh, when I'm conducting some of my business. Uh, yeah, so it's I a don't... whole lifestyle change. Um, yeah.
my husband will occasionally work from home. He, throughout most of this, he's not typically at home, but every once in a while he'll come in and be doing some paperwork during the day. And it is not my favorite thing. <laughs> you know, we're in a, you know, small space together and I'm just like, why are you making so much noise in our office? <laughs> well, my, my wife is a successful realtor. And I think oh. I could sell real estate by now by listening to so many conversations that she's had. Probably. And I think she'd be a terrific hot tub salesperson because she's listened to a lot of the conversations I have had over the last six months. So you guys could just kind of step in for each other if, if need be. If ever there were probably. an emergency, you could keep each other's jobs rolling on the, on the side. <laughs> yeah, probably true. There are so many things that we could talk about with regards to all of this. Once those lead times did start taking off, how did you help your dealers manage that? How have you encouraged them to change their sales process and that communication process? What kind of best practices have you been talking to them about implementing so that they can keep those consumers engaged and updated and not, I mean, obviously they're going to be a little frustrated when they think they're going to get their hot tub in a month and it's going to take several now. What have you been encouraging them to do? The dealers have never worked so hard in their lives. There's no question about it. They've been really working hard. There's been a demand. It's been fantastic for sales, but it's just been wreaking havoc on dealer anxiety levels because the consumer's making a large purchase with them and they're married to that consumer for yeah. just the period of time that it takes from contract to delivery is so much change. Yeah. Um, and there are so many more contracts. There's just so many hours in the day to talk to all those consumers and work those leads and to do all the other things that the dealership has to do from managing their inventory to doing deliveries and maintaining service on top of it all. So they've been never worked harder. Hats off to the retailers doing really difficult and challenging times and changing with the times in a, quite a short period of time. So yeah. what we've worked with them on is number one is virtual selling and making sure that they have all the virtual tools that they can. So yeah. are they using Zoom? Are they using FaceTime? Are they using the methods that we are now on this call, for example, with their consumers? So they still see a face. They still have that image. They still see the showroom and uh, they get a, have... a good personal touch as best as they possibly can. Yeah. Do you still have retailers who are still doing a lot of virtual selling? It seemed like in March and April, I was hearing a lot about that. And then a lot of people I've talked to now are like, well, we haven't really done that for a while. Do you have dealers who are still doing lots of virtual sales? I, there's, well, when it comes to sales, one of the things that I've seen dramatic change in is obviously there's been more sales with product sight unseen. So they don't always think that they need to go into a dealership anymore to see, touch and feel the product. Although it's a huge advantage for that dealer that does have that display to get the consumer to still come in the store and then practice the right social protocols that are necessary with the challenge today of the virus. But the, they are, there's more foot traffic in the stores to answer your question. It's limited to um, a certain number of people that can attend and be in the stores at the time. Trying to sell with a mask on isn't always the easiest thing to do. Um, no. You have to enunciate a lot better than you've ever done before. <laughs> but the, the traffic in the stores is, is, is picked up now and it's less virtual, but there are more sales still today, sight unseen. It's probably gone to 30 to 40% of sales over the phone, over the internet, whereas pre-COVID, I would suggest it was 5 to 10% of that number. That's a pretty shocking number. It is. Again, because I, one of the reasons I, I, 
I wouldn't be able to sell insurance is because it's not something that's tangible. And so I like selling something that's tangible myself. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why I love selling this product. Sorry. So I, I kind of interrupted your thought as far mm -hmm. as helping the retailers kind of mm -hmm. sell in this whole new world. So other than, other than virtual sales, I kind of imagine that the, you know, it used to be they'd have these, these drip programs and all of those kinds of things um, for before the sale. But now are they having to do that on, on the back end? Like, oh, by the way, yeah. you know, here's your weekly update on where you're at in our schedule as far as getting your hot tub. You hit on a great point there. And I, I really feel that's necessary. Uh, I've heard the term used uh, reverse nurturing. Staying that's, in oh, touch with I love that, that. That's consumer so, great. Reverse so nurturing. that they don't say, you know what? I'm tired of waiting. Give me my money back. Uh, you don't want that. And the way that that happens is, is if you don't communicate in the interim between contract and delivery, and then your next communication is the month that they're supposed to get that delivery. And um, we're not going to meet that. We're not going to meet that date that we told you six months ago or three months right. ago. You don't want that. You, you want, this is the status. This is where your product's at. This is what we're hearing. This is the change in offline date. We look forward to getting your hot tub and you're going to look forward to getting it as well, because I can give you some third party stories about some people who just received their tubs and how ecstatic they are that they can have it during this newer next level shutdown once again that we're right. it's upon us again yeah. where we're going to have to quarantine possibly more at home than before mm -hmm. now i have this product to enjoy at my home yeah and do you uh, think there's going to be a second hot tub boom now that there might be a second shutdown i don't know that yeah. as much as i know that i don't see any reason for it not to continue well into 2021 Right, Because not just the, all the new buyers that are coming into the category, but those new buyers are obviously great references and influencers to other people who will mm -hmm. definitely buy our product. So if we do right by the first set of consumers, they're going to tell more friends and family and we're going to stay busy here. Yeah, And that's really going to be the benefit long term of this. So, yeah. And I really don't see at the level of sales that we're experiencing right now, it's going to change well into 2021. And hey, We've got March, April, and May where we were partially shut down this year to sell into. So it should be a growth year. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be what I'm hearing for other people in the industry as well. And I know I've said this on the podcast before, but that is what I've seen in our own neighborhood is almost every single one of my neighbors has done major upgrades in their backyards, including us. And, and it does kind of seem to just move on down the line, you know? Once someone does something and then the next one says, oh yeah, that's pretty great. I wish we had that in ours. And it just, it just mm -hmm. is a rolling effect. We've definitely seen a few hot tubs delivered here. So yeah, the trend is, is going to continue. I mean, I see more gyms in garages than I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. So people are more health conscious and want to stay healthy. <laughs> I definitely um, was looking at some gym equipment for my husband to, for Christmas, like this morning. Right so <laughs> Right I don't know right where on. we're going to put it, but I mean, it's, we got to do something because we're, we both look like we were having pandemic babies at this point. So that's not, <laughs> that's not great. I mean, I think I'm in my second trimester. So, uh. so yeah, I, I definitely think health is, there's a focus on health and maintaining mm -hmm. a healthy lifestyle. I think that family, the hot tub provides uh, the family feel and getting together is, is going to be a huge part of it because we're all still at our homes and seeing each other more frequently. Let's go outside and enjoy each other's company in the backyard room. Mm -hmm. And I think just the anxiety that have unfortunately been caused by this virus yeah. and the news that we have on a regular basis 
is making a necessity for a yeah. better mental health that no, hot tubs sure. can provide. So I mean, we're for the really first time, for the first time in my life, I have a terrible time sleeping now. <laughs> you know, I definitely could right. use that nightly hot tub soak to help me actually make it, I get a full night's of sleep. I also have an infant. So I mean, right. they'll take it with a grain of salt, but I feel like even when the baby's <laughs> not waking up, I'm still waking up. So I, I am in need of a hot tub stress relief time on a regular right basis. On. Right on. So I definitely see that as a, a, been a beneficiary and something that we can actually provide to end consumers. And that's, that makes the job more worthwhile. Yeah. Have you seen a change in the types of features that consumers are interested in now versus- During COVID? Or, yeah. I don't think that's changed. Okay. Uh, they want a spa that's easy to take care of. Sure. I think they fear spas uh, may not be easy to take care of mm -hmm. because of the unknown. I still think that we need to address that and we are addressing it with various ways but I still think that's part of their concerns growing into it. Mm -hmm. As far as features are concerned, no, I, I really think that it's still the same staples of ease of maintenance and uh, getting a good massage from the hot tub is what they're looking for yeah. and a well-built one at that. Yeah. Has it been easier to talk people into some of those upgrades as far as maintenance and water care and all of those kinds of things? especially since they've got time to wait. I mean, I know every customer is different, but. Well, they're definitely more well-informed. I mean, they're using mm. the internet way more than they've ever done. They're spending so much more time on the internet learning. Um, and therefore they see these features and see these concerns from reviews and such. And so they want that to be addressed at the retail level by the retailer. And so um, I do see that they're wanting to buy more ease of maintenance products uh, with our hot tubs. Mm -hmm. So whether it be ozone, whether it be uh, UV, better filtration systems, um, yeah, they definitely are looking for that to make their life easier. They don't want to buy something that they're going to have to work at. But other than that, I got to be honest with you, there's the flip side. And that is, is what do you have available now yes. and when can you deliver it? Yes without a lot of thought into the process. I just want a hot tub. Mm -hmm. So it may not match that decor. It may not be the right size for that consumer. It may not have some of those features that they may have wanted to have mm -hmm. long-term after the fact. Yeah, uh, And that's something that we really need to slow up and take our time and listen to what they're really wanting and, and making sure that they know that they have options. That's a great point because like you said, the last, I mean, we don't want to have those, that buyer's remorse and people who end up regretting their hot tub purchase a year or two down the road because it doesn't do the things that they really needed it to do for them because they were more concerned about getting one as quickly as possible. Right on. Have you seen a lot of canceled orders? I know that's been a little bit of a fear in the industry that people are going to, you know, with the long lead times that people are going to, like you said, say, just give me back my money. I don't want to wait. Most dealerships I've talked to, that hasn't been a huge issue yet. A couple of cancellations, but nothing that's been too widespread. Sadly, most of the time, the cancellations come in the uh, cases of hardships oh. that the household is having that they sure. didn't anticipate when they made right. that purchase. So that's a sad time when you have to do that. For the most part, no, it hasn't been really an issue because if you're going to delay your decision on this product that you want, you're only further delaying what could be a real satisfactory purchase on your so part. True. Yeah, um, you're going to be, you're going to cancel now. Okay. Then you're not going to get your product until 2022 mm -hmm. where it could be still 2021. So I don't see a lot of cancellations occurring only in the hardship cases that I just referred to. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you have seen out there in the field that is important for retailers to be thinking about going forward in this kind of new landscape of selling hot tubs? 
Yeah, I definitely want to stress to my clients that they have some representation of the product on the floor. Display mm -hmm. is the upper hand, no question. Mm -hmm. I can show value in the product and differentiation in the product when I have it on my floor. Right. I cannot do it as well virtually. Mm -hmm. And that is probably the biggest game changer for them is just to figure out how can I order spas for display and not let my staff know that I've got those products coming in so they don't sell them. Right. And then when they get there, they have to convince a consumer that no, this one is not for sale right now, oh, but I could so give you a layaway up and until 2022 if you want to wait that long. Yeah, no, I think- <laughs> So yeah, I think well, the biggest thing is having that display. Really yeah. it is, that's what I'm trying to emphasize for 2021. We got away from that big time here this year. Um, we got to get our hands back on that again. Yeah. Do you still have some dealerships that have fairly empty showrooms still? Yeah. Oh no. I do. Yeah, I do. And it's and it's tough. And they're the best salespeople and the best service people and the best dealerships. And they're convincing people to still buy regardless of that fact. I just know that uh, it, they would prefer to have representation of the product, if not a full floor of hot tubs to sure. display. Yeah. To make sure that their consumers are making the right decision on the right product. I mean, I know that we want to keep this pretty like, you know, brand neutral, but I, from talking to some of the other. I've been jacuzzi, doing pretty good with that so you far. You really no. have. I mean, you've, <laughs> you've said, you've hardly ever, you've hardly dropped the Jacuzzi Sundance name at all. I'm very impressed. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, but I know from talking to some other people at, at Jacuzzi that you guys have developed some pretty great tools for the retailers as far as. Um, your own virtual training for them and as far as setting up things for them to be able to sell virtually and probably things I don't even know about, but it seems like you were able to jump on some of that stuff pretty quickly and provide your dealers with some tools that maybe weren't available to other retailers. Mm. So yeah, I, I think um, video. I'm, giving, I'm, as, I'm teeing you up uh -huh. for, for, some, yeah. uh, for some promotion, some jacuzzi yeah. promotion there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> video has been really huge uh, for dealers, uh, obviously getting onto YouTube, mm. obviously having video on your web, being more realistic of what the product experience should be in a virtual way. Pre-COVID was huge, no question. And the companies that were able to be more nimble in regards to using the technology and using video in their advertising and marketing had the upper hand. And so when COVID came, it was right into their sweet spot already. They were already adapting. It's almost like takeout food restaurant. If you already had takeout prior to COVID, boy, you ate it up and did a great job. But if you never did takeout at a restaurant before, yeah. you had a really big shift. So I don't think our dealers had as great as a shift as maybe others had because of the blessing of having a strong marketing department that was already developing those types of tools to be able to do the job virtually with using video and, and, and using virtual selling methods. So yeah. yeah, we already had that in play, which was terrific. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it seemed like it sort of, this sort of made us all shift to things that we've been talking about doing for years and never have had to do, you know, things that I think were on dealers long-term planning lists and long-term to-do list ended up being, we need to do this in a week, whether it was putting up um, an e-commerce site or setting up curbside service or learning how to do sales over Facebook. Those things that were like, oh, that would probably be a good idea to implement down the road became, right. oh, we have to do this now if we want to keep some kind of money coming in for those first few weeks of the shutdown. A lot of changes had to be made in a short period of time. A lot of things that had to be adapted to, including, um, again, once the stores were able to open, mm -hmm. uh, did you have all of the right protocols in your business from hand wash stations to plexiglass to masks? 
just all of that stuff, uh, wiping down displays and things like that on a more regular basis. Again, the workload has become quite challenging for the retailers yeah. during this time. Um, but boy, um, I think it's changes, like you're saying, uh, for the long run, uh, that will benefit the dealer long term by adapting to those changes that, yeah, they, absolutely. that they've had to. The area that you cover on the East Coast probably has some of the stricter restrictions than other areas of the country. I mean, I live in Oklahoma. I mean, we have mask mandates, but let's be honest, no one's really super enforcing that. And so I guess I'm just kind of curious, do you see on the areas where you have dealerships that they do have really strict policies that they had to adhere to and are still having to adhere to? Because there were, I feel like even kind of in the West where things are a little bit more, or the middle of the country where things are a little more loosey-goosey, um, <laughs> mm -hmm. they yeah. they had some really strict things at the beginning that they did, and now they're maybe not doing them so much, and well, maybe now they're, they're ramping back up. Has it kind of stayed at the same level for you guys this whole time? Yeah. I've always wanted to get a t-shirt made that said, tell me what the rules are today because they seem to change so frequently and it's such a big challenge to try to keep up with it. I remember back in late March and April that you shouldn't be delivering a hot tub during that time. That mm -hmm. if you're seen going down the street with a spa on the back of your truck, uh, yeah. you might be asked to turn around and take it back because you weren't supposed to be out on the road and you weren't supposed yeah. to be working, you were supposed to be shut down. So that was a major time of uncertainty and how long that was going to last. The restrictions are still there but they're a lot less than they were at the beginning of COVID. Sure. Not only have we learned to adapt to them, but there's more people coming in to the stores now and shopping similar to the ways that they've shopped in the past, no doubt. So we are more back to normal times in regards to the shopping experience, except when they go in, are they gonna see the full array of products? Do you think that there's gonna be some new positions going forward that dealerships need to hire for that they didn't in oh, the past? Yeah. I mean, manufacturers, I know a lot of them now have, you know, a nurse on staff and things like that, that they never did before. Are dealerships going to be doing the same thing? Maybe not a nurse, but people to help coordinate, you know, do, do they need a full-time order placing person? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I, I, I can't wait till we get to that level. That right. <laughs> um, I would suggest that one of the changes I've seen is, is that some dealers will have a lead concierge and that'll be somebody who yeah. tends to persons who initially inquire about a hot tub. And so they've put someone in position to be a greeter, if you will, and warm them up to the hot tub industry before they would be able to speak to a salesperson who could get more into the details of ownership and taking ownership of a hot tub and how to, because the leads have been so crazy. I've seen more dealerships mm -hmm. uh, become more agile at the upfront side of handling those leads. But yet at the same time, having that same lead concierge now be the reverse nurture person. Mm. So now that person needs to call so many of the consumers per day just to keep them warm before between the contract time and the delivery time of the hot yeah. tub. So that's a role change that I've actually seen in a big way as communicating with the end consumer more frequently after the sale mm. prior to the delivery. Yeah, that's a great idea because with the number of leads coming in and a lot of people saying, oh, a hot tub sounds great. Let's get a hot tub. And, you know, step into it having no idea that lead times were so long or that the cost is what it is and all of those things. That's great to have someone kind of at the front heading them off before they pass them off to the you know final salesperson. But warehousing certainly has to change for some dealerships now mm -hmm. because you know, they're going to be able to take the product in when it's ready. Doing more deliveries in the wintertime here in the Northeast than they've ever done before. Hopefully we don't have a lot of snow on the ground because there's a lot of hot tubs coming this way. 
And I know there's a lot of consumers looking to receive those hot tubs that oh, have been man. waiting so patiently that they don't care if it gets delivered in January, I'm ready for it. Just, yeah. I'll help you clear the driveway. You know, that's going to be a different change for a lot of dealers and a lot of consumers in the Northeast for sure. So staffing up and keeping those staffs high yeah. in, in the wintertime when normally it's slower for those dealers in the winter months of mm -hmm. December, January, and February for delivery. Those are a couple of changes I definitely see happening. I know talking to retailers in the past, you know, sales had gone up since the recession, but had kind of leveled off for a lot of people at some kind of normal levels that they expect sort of the same percentage of growth every year. And for a lot of retailers, they saw their next opportunity for real growth to be opening a new location um, and expanding. I, I guess I'm curious now if dealers are still looking to expand. Obviously, they've had sales growth without having to add locations and really without maybe even utilizing the locations that they have. But there's also the opportunity for some real softening on the commercial real estate side. Do you have dealers who were really bullish about opening new stores, maybe pulling back from that? And then some people who maybe didn't think that was in the cards for them now saying, oh, I can get a great deal. Let's test out this market. I think you're right on both fronts. Um, I think that there's been a lot of business coming into the retail store that they're so busy that right now their resources are overrun and for them to consider to expand during this time, maybe more than they can chew. And so they are basically busy just trying to maintain the business that they have. And again, remember, a large majority of my dealerships aren't just focused on hot tubs. 70% of my dealers do pools and okay. or fireplaces or outdoor kitchens, et cetera. And so it's balancing all of those backyard products at the same time and how busy they're going to be through the next year in all those categories and how do they handle that. But yet at the same time, you are absolutely right. There are dealers who are using this opportunity to propel their business to higher levels to sustain larger growth long-term for their organization. So although the money isn't coming in just yet as the deliveries are just getting made now, mm -hmm. uh, I think at the end of 2021, there's going to be uh, some bigger coffers of our dealers and they're going to be looking for ways to reinvest in their organization. And there's never been a better time for what you just said. And that is real estate, commercial real estate is definitely available and certainly to expand your reach beyond your current radius of your store is a huge advantage if you have the resources to do it now mm -hmm. or in the near future. And so we have both. We have dealers that are looking at that long-term. We have other dealers who may be just trying to get through 2021. Sure. Of course, it's not like you can just plop open a new store and fill it with hot tubs right now either. And that so too. <laughs> there's so many facets to that. It's interesting to see what side of the what side of it the retailers end up on. Yep. I, it just depends on the, on the retailer actually and, and what their situation is. But yeah, I've, I've seen both of those and the market. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, for yeah. sure. All right, Dennis, I have asked you a lot of questions. I usually Boy, send I okay on those answers. Uh, no, no, no. This, this was great. I have gone way off of our outline. So mm -hmm. you've done great sticking to <laughs> staying with me on some of these topics where they just come into my mind and I have to ask you about. But what is not going to change is the Spa Retailer 5. Are you ready for those? I think so. All right. What was your first sale, your first hot tub sale that you remember? My first hot tub sale, for sure, I remember well, was a Sundance Spa's Royale model. And that was a large lounge luxury hot tub and uh, was my favorite go-to model, probably my favorite sale, selling model that is for quite some time. Yeah. And it was in the color of teal. Teal ran the acrylic spa business for quite some time. Yes. And teal, teal, teal all day yeah. long. I could sell teal. Teal is today's platinum. 
acrylic color in the, yeah. in the business. That's so it true. was a you teal see, royale. You did see a lot of teal hot tubs back in the day. <laughs> what was your first real job? First real job was working up on the boardwalk at this beach town. I ran arcades, video and pinball arcades for seven years. Oh. In fact, I thought that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And I was also one of those guys that ran one of the games of chance with a microphone and bringing people over and winning uh, stuffed animals and such like that for games of chance. So that's where I got my big mouth from, I'm sure. That's great. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty good training for any type of sales. Also, you got to be able to yeah. think pretty quick on your feet if you're doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then after that, when I graduated college, I got a real job and I worked uh, for RCA in Camden, New Jersey, which is a government defense company. And okay. I worked as a budget analyst. And that's why I got into sales, man. Because yeah, <laughs> that yeah. was no fun. That was no fun. This is so much more fun. <laughs> I feel like the financial background, I'm sure, still serves you well as you're helping dealers run their businesses. But yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> not the same. Not the no. same. What would you say is the worst idea or the biggest flop that you've ever had in your career? Something that you were like, yeah, I, you sent me that work. question earlier. And I had to say, I struggled with that question most of all, because really? it was never a bad idea of mine. It was just other people's execution of that idea that really made of them course. fail. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Yeah, I know, uh, no. it's, kind of, it's a little bit of a, of a weird situation because you're not, you know, the one out there, you're not making the hot tubs or coming up with the, you know, development of those ideas and, uh, yeah. or no, the I'm crazy kidding. sales ideas. I, I probably would say that we were having a truckload sale in 2009, September, when they announced the stock market crash. Mm. And we, and that was like on a Friday. And so yeah. that truckload sale was the worst truckload sale you could have at the worst time. Yeah. So, well, that was probably the worst idea was I didn't anticipate that that was going to happen. And yet we had it and it was disastrous. Yeah, that would be, that would not be great. No. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that happened. Although I feel like not necessarily your fault, but mm -hmm. you probably took the hit. <laughs> yeah, because I, I suggested that the dealer should do that truckload sale. So yeah. Oh, Ooh, what a great you're, idea. You're Dennis. probably not their favorite person for, for a little while there. <laughs> no, no, no. All right. So on the flip side, what was, what would you say has been one of your, your best ideas that you've brought to your dealers? I think bringing sales training ideas to the dealer level has been one of my favorite things to do. I like to simplify the process. I like to see that light go on, that they understand how to present this product, especially people new to the industry and how they can relate it to other products that they may have sold in the past. That's probably been my greatest thing that I've bought to my dealerships is uh, sales training. Mm -hmm. I think they expect it of me and I try to look outside our hot tub box. And I think using training has launched me to opportunities in my career at this company to enjoy it so much more. There isn't a state I haven't been to other than Alaska. So I've seen a lot. I've been to a lot of places. I had the great opportunity to meet so many fabulous entrepreneurs, retailers, hardworking salespeople and service staff. I've never worked a day as hard as a, as a technician in our business has worked. And I really appreciate what they do in the field to turn those frowns upside down. So yeah, it's really been able to provide me with an understanding of the industry from 
every state in the United States that experience to travel and learn from great dealers has really helped me uh, help my own dealers. I kind of feel bad now that we haven't talked more specifically about sales training because it sounds like that maybe would have been a good topic to to go through with you in some more detail. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's my favorite subject, no doubt. It's fun. So, what would what's your favorite book, TV show, podcast, movie? What have you been doing to entertain yourself while you've been off the road? I've definitely watched more series and more uh, TV shows than normal. Not any particular show, but more um, series for sure. I've definitely read more also. And Jeffrey Gittimer would be my go-to books. Okay. Um, And I can pick that book up again uh, or any of his books up again and again and read them over and over and get something new from it. Jeffrey Gittimer is a uh, sales guru who's out of uh, North Carolina, uh, who was formerly from my area, South Jersey, actually. And he's just a great sales trainer who understands customer service and the nuances of selling in today's world. So I watch him when I can on social media, podcasts, and I refer to his books often. That's great. That's a good, that's a good tip. I'm sure there's some other salesmen out there that would could benefit he's, from that. I recommend him highly. I, uh, I also- Because he's got that New Jersey style of in your face as well. And so, you know, you, you don't escape his right. wrath if, you, <laughs> if, if you're not on your game. Uh, so you, you like that style then? I do, yeah. So, yeah, okay. I like his energy. <laughs> No, that's good. That's good. Well, Dennis, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. We might have to have you back to talk about sales training so I can pick your brain on that as well. But uh, this, has been, this has been great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm going to thank all my clients, my dealers, and everybody I've met in the industry uh, has really had an impact on my career. And it's made it one that I know I'm going to retire happy with. Well, I mean, it was Jeff, my former co-host. He's he's not on the podcast anymore, unfortunately, but he was the one that suggested that we speak to you and he doesn't sell, even sell your product, but you no, guys have both not. been around the industry long enough that, that you're kind of buddies. So he you know. is a great guy and he's done so well. And it's just great to know somebody from the moment he stepped into selling hot tubs into being uh, the great dealer that he is today. And uh, again, that's just work ethic and a passion that a lot of our dealers have. And that's, I love people like Jeff. For sure. All right. Well, I will let you get back to your day, get back to those dealers and those phone calls. I'm sure your phone's been going off a lot while we've been chatting. It's been silence, but yes, thank you. I appreciate (laughs) it very much. Have a great afternoon. Retailer Podcast is a production of Spa Retailer Magazine. Let us know what you think by leaving a review or emailing us at podcast at spa Thanks for listening.